Hi, Explorers. Thanks for listening to Kids Who Explore Parent Edition. Come along with us as we cover all corners of raising kids in the outdoors. I'm Adriana Scori, a Canadian Rockies hiking, adventure, and travel mom to my two-year-old Turner and newborn baby Nash, and founder and CEO of Kids Who Explore. I'm Lauren Rodick-Eberly, mama to Collins and Deacon. We love exploring between our two homes in Alberta, Canada and Washington State, USA. Today's podcast is sponsored by Kids Who Explore's Patch for a Purpose. Every time we see our patch out in the world, we feel the love and support behind it. Our patches can be sewn onto backpacks, jackets, bags, or even baby carriers, to name a few. Or they can be carried in your packs as special adventure items for all your little explorers. Our patch comes in eight different colors, and a dollar from each patch goes to a, you guessed it, purpose. Your support can make a difference for all of the following charity groups, depending on which color patch you want to represent. Alberta Parks, Children's Disability, BIPOC and Anti-Racism, Sick Children, The Earth, Children's Wellbeing, Anti-Bullying, and Children's Mental Health. Check out the hashtag Patch for a Purpose to see our patch and the community behind it. That's hashtag Patch, the number four, a purpose. To get your patch today, visit www.kidswhoexplore.ca. We thank you in advance for the difference you are making. Linda Okitsen McGurk is a Swedish American writer and author of the parenting memoir, There's No Such Thing as Bad Weather, and The Open Air Life. McGurk is a passionate advocate for raising kids in the outdoors and thinks that the biggest childhood memories are created outside while jumping in puddles, digging in dirt, catching bugs, and climbing trees. She is the founder of the blog Rain or Shine Mama, a resource where parents and other caregivers can find tips and inspirations for outdoor play every day, regardless of the weather. Hi, Linda. Thanks for chatting with us today. Hi, thank you for having me. I'm so excited to chat with you. We've actually had a lot of people on the podcast talk about your book. So that's cool. (laughs) All your books, I should say. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, that's neat. Um, yeah, it, that's great. It 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 is uh, kind of unique, I think, uh, in for, for the niche. Uh, there's no such thing as bad weather. I think it was the first sort of cultural parenting book that talked specifically about um, you know outdoor play and and from a parenting perspective. I mean, there was Richard Lube's uh, Last Child in the Woods, of course, which is a seminal book for the whole movement and uh but it's more written from sort of a, an academic more of an academic or intellectual standpoint and what i wanted to do with my book was to bring the parental perspective and specifically you know with me uh being raised in sweden and bringing bringing that sort of scandinavian perspective on outdoor play since that's kind of what we're renowned for so uh, so, so the book did uh, make some waves, uh, and still is five years after the release. And then my my second book uh, came out last year, and it's sort of a, uh, uh, and not not exactly a sequel, but it sort of goes more in in into depth uh, of uh, friluftsliv or open air life, which is one of you know an, an important. Uh, facet of uh, outdoor life in in Scandinavia. Yeah, and I absolutely loved both of those books. And Adriana and I are in Canada, and right now I'm in the States. So can you actually highlight some of the differences that you saw in outdoor culture between growing up in Sweden and then living in the States? 
Sure. Um, and just to give you a little bit of a background, I uh, I was, yeah, I was born and raised in Sweden, and then I moved to the U.S. when I was in my 20s. Um, I lived a couple of years in Montana and then uh, Indiana, where that's, and that's where I had my two, two girls. And um, um, I noticed uh, already, you know, initially that th there was just a lot of less, there was um, uh, less children out playing, and there was there wasn't that sort of uh, uh, emphasis on having kids outside and, you know, all year round and all types of weather, um, which I was used to from, from growing up in Sweden. We have, you know, we have the saying, there's no such thing as bad weather, only bad clothing, which, you know, that's, that's what uh, my title refers to. The title of my first book refers to. Um, so if you grow up there, you know, that's, you know, you're just instilled with that spirit that, uh, fresh air is good for you and, and all the adults in your life sort of make you go outside and play every day, regardless of the weather. And so that's what I grew up with. And, and I, I didn't see that, um, uh, when I had kids in, in Indiana and, um, I and I noticed um, when I was out outside with my kids, you know, people reacted to it, especially in the winter time. People were very surprised that I was outside in the cold weather with my kids. Um, so I, I stuck out. I become I became the 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 odd one in, in the community because I was always outside in the snow or um, cold, and I had people tell me that I was brave and I uh, had others tell me that my kids shouldn't be outside because it was, you know, it could be dangerous to them. Um, and, uh, you know, I didn't think I was neither. <laughs> I thought I was just doing what, what I was supposed to be doing. Uh, Cause that's what, what I, th that's the way I was raised. And that's what my friends back in Sweden were doing with their babies. Um, so I didn't think it was neither, brave or or dangerous by any means um uh so th so that was you know for so that was one tangible way that i noticed it and then as my kids got older and they started daycare um i noticed that kids were a lot more stuck in in front of screens as well um and they they just didn't spend much time outside and the same with Preschool was very academically oriented uh, in a way that it's not at all in Scandinavia, where um, academics don't really come into the picture until, you know, the kids are six or seven years old. Um, we, I think we view early childhood as something something very sacred, something that is sort of reserved for play and, and preferably outdoor play, but play in all forms. Um, and um, uh, that surprised me that, you know, when my four-year-old was uh, expected to start le learning how to read and write and get, she was getting homework. And this was at a preschool that was supposed to be play-based. Um, but all I heard was, you know, well, we got to get them ready for kindergarten. That was this, it was like a mantra that, you know, we have to get them kindergarten ready. They have to you know, learn, learn their, you know, they have to do these worksheets and do um, wall words. And, and that was a completely foreign concept to me. Um, so there was a lot of um, 
competition too and and I think stress among parents parents were stressed that their children weren't going to reach these sort of artificial milestones on time um so that of course affected outdoor play as well because kids were just more um just more um spent more time doing academic work already in an, at an early age so so that was another one. And then also I noticed more fear surrounding outdoor play, um, fear of letting kids, be, you know, be outside and play by themselves, you know, fear of strangers, um, uh, fear of uh, nature itself, too. I think because a lot of people just did not have that sort of connection themselves. So there there was a, a lot of that to to overcome. And I I felt pretty lonely in the beginning because the, this was my first daughter was born in 2008. So I was only getting started on Facebook at that point. And there was there were just not that many support groups. Um, today, you can easily find an outdoor community online, but it was just a different world back then. So so I started a blog eventually um, as a way to sort of support and inspire other parents um, and then that resulted in my book eventually. And it, it was just a way to to uh, to share my experience and maybe uh, help other parents feel less lonely in their parenting experience, because I, I figured I wouldn't I wasn't really alone. Um, it, it was just that I didn't have a lot of people in my local community that um, had sort of the same same view of infusing childhood um uh, my my children's uh, lives with with uh, nature which is sort of a, a given in the scandinavian countries where um you see nature as an essential part of childhood so you're definitely an inspiration for sure because that would have been really hard to be integrating into a new culture altogether and then trying to kind of bridge the gap between so starting a blog and having people come to that blog and and read and feel inspired is is a very incredible story and um i'm just wondering uh my question is like well i guess I want to touch on first the fact that I can <laughs> relate to you about the cold weather. So uh, the commentary <laughs> I get about taking my baby out hiking in the Canadian Rockies in the winter is just <laughs> a lot of comments like your baby shouldn't be out here. Your baby's going to get sick. What are you doing? And just that alone kind of feeling for sure. And then, yeah, I mean, we do have kids who explore, which is definitely like our you know, online, we can, we can meet up now in person with other moms that have that similar experience. So that's super helpful. Um, but what I'm kind of wondering when we're talking about the comparison between the U S and Sweden was how you guys integrate your outdoors in everyday moments in Sweden. So like meal times, um, yeah, just like outdoor, like everyday moments. How would you compare that? Right, right. So so that's where I think where uh, Friluftsliv comes into the picture or open air life, uh, which is a way to sort of, yeah, like you said, great nature in your everyday, everyday life. So, um, so for example, um, it could be just simple things like going for a walk around the neighborhood. That's probably the most common way of Friluftsliv. But there are many others as well. Um, and uh, we try to, I think you can look at it at, um, at d in different ways. Like you can, we usually divide it into like everyday freelance leave and then weekend freelance leave. 
and then vacation fearless leave. So everyday fearless leave, those are all the way that you, all the ways that you can access green spaces or or just getting outdoor time in your everyday life. So it's all about utilizing, you know, what you have. So that's going to depend on uh, that's going to vary depending on where you live. So if you're in a city, it's about uh, utilizing your local green spaces in you know in form in the form of parks or um, or even just having a meal outside on a on your deck or using your backyard if you have a backyard. Um, uh, and then weekend fearless live is more that's where you can maybe fit in some activities that take more time that you don't have time for during like throughout the week. So maybe you meet up with some friends and, and uh, uh, grill, grill some hot dogs over the fire and go for a hike together. Or, you know, like uh, in the winter, you'll go ice skating or skiing, things like that, hiking in the, in the summertime. Um, and then vacation for sleeve is when you try to get to those really, you know, remote areas for like a really um, more uh, wild experience, so to so to speak, to get to get really get away from civilization for maybe maybe a week, um, and um, and all those experiences I think are important in different ways. Uh, the everyday philosophy might not sound very exciting, but that doesn't make it any less worthwhile. Because that still gets you into the rhythm and routine of being outside. And that's important too, especially for kids, I think, to establish that rhythm early on so that they always sort of expect to be outside. Um, and a big difference, I think, between the two cultures is that in Sweden, we have so much support from our society as well. So we, you know, so, so most uh, so most uh, kids go to preschool here, but but preschool it's it's more like daycare. It's like a combination of daycare and preschool. It's it's very different from American preschool or Canadian preschool in that it's it's an all day preschool and it's non academic, um, and it's actually. It, the national curriculum for the preschool actually states that uh, that the children are entitled to outdoor play every day um, and both in natural environments and more planned environments. So so just by taking your child, just by enrolling your child at a preschool, you automatically know that they're going to get um, probably hours of outdoor play every day. Um so, so that's a great help for parents because it's, you know, if you're a working, if you're two working parents, then as we all know, it's, it's a challenge to, to, to fit that into your everyday life. Um, but then, so, so then when I lived in the U.S., I, you know, I didn't, I didn't have that type of preschool. So I just try to compensate at home. So when my daughters came home from daycare or preschool, um, we just we went outside uh first thing that we did before they got to do any homework or or anything like it because i always sort of prioritized that um and then also same on the weekends to um to to tr try and um keep your kids schedules you know not to over schedule them so that they have that time um to uh to just connect with nature and just be i mean they're there are um, 
they have so much, uh, so many years to, to get into like competitions and, and uh, you know, I think we, I think the U S can be very competitive on, on many levels. And uh, I think uh, nature is a, a great counterweight to that. And so, um, so, so that's just another reason why I think, you know, getting nature into getting into nature habit can benefit the entire family actually. Um, uh, yeah, I love that you kind of simplify the everyday that it's like, just get out your yeah. door, which is what we talk about at kids who explore. Yeah. Once you do that, it just becomes habit, right? And yeah. it becomes easier to do the bigger things. So start with the small, get out your door and just incorporate it into everyday life. Yeah, because a lot of it is just about learning the ropes of how to get, you know, how to dress the kids for outdoor play, how to, how, you know, how to make them comfortable out there and how do you how do you keep them happy once you're out there? I get, I think the most common question that I probably get is, either you know something clothing related or what types of activities do you recommend for a two-year-old or a four-year-old or six-year-old whatever age group um and to me that's is you know giving clothing recommendations is pretty easy but in terms of activities that that's where it, where it becomes kind of abstract to me because i've always just to me it's just been about getting out, out the door. And then the activity has been sort of secondary to me. It's the most important part is to get outside. And then I usually try to see what the kids get into. Um, I think it's important to give them time, a lot of time for unstructured play. Um, and research really supports that notion that kids really that's what they need the most in the early years is unstructured play so that they can develop all these skills that they're going to need later in life. Um, so many social and uh, emotional cognitive skills that are developed through outdoor play. Um, and a lot of people, I think, get confused by uh, a versus activities uh play. That's what's, you know, when we talk about all the benefits of outdoor play, um, we got to remember that play is something that's um, chosen um, by the child. It's directed by the child and it's intrinsically motivated, which means it's not motivated by any external rewards like winning a trophy or getting praise. Um, and it's not directed by adults um, or uh, it's not the adults uh, deciding the rules. So it's different from sports that way. Um, when kids uh, play, they become totally immersed in the mo in the moment and they they are the ones making up the rules. They are the ones negotiating. Um, and that's where all the benefits are. When the adults are in there dictating um things, uh, you lose a lot of those benefits. So, um, and, and there's nothing wrong with, with having outdoor activities. And, and I've suggested, I've, I've shared a lot of ideas for outdoor activities on my blog. Um, so there's absolutely nothing wrong with suggesting activities to do outside. And sometimes you really need that to motivate kids to go outside. Um, but I think it's important to know the difference. And, um, I think, um, 
uh, yeah, I, I think I think people in general maybe get overly concerned about you know what to do. I think a lot of, most of the time it sort of um, it sorts itself out once you just get out the door and, uh, and and really try to utilize your local green spaces. I think the key is finding a good space where where children are welcome and spaces that are um, as varied as possible. Uh, once this is going to depend on where where you live and what what kind of access you have to to outdoor spaces and how often you can get there. But even like I said, even being outside in a city environment can be uh, very beneficial um, as well. But as a general rule, the wilder the environment, the more beneficial it is to the child. Yes, absolutely. And just to touch on what you were saying before about schools too, we, I know in Canada are trying to get more outdoor schools and yet there's not enough and they're so sought after now that it's hard to get in. So um, we had someone on our podcast in Northern Alberta, who's a teacher that went to their school board and convinced them to kind of create an outdoor element. So basically now from kindergarten to grade three, so hopefully it extends, they wow. are guaranteed at least two hours every day of outdoor time, if not more, a lot being unstructured and then some just being them doing their curriculum outside. And it's just incredible to see that. And that was inspired from your book, she said. So it's incredible to see that wow. people are doing that. And hopefully that just extends more and more and more. Because in northern Alberta, there's lots of cold, snowy days, but they're still yeah. making it happen, which is really nice to see. That's amazing. That's so great to hear. There's been a lot of a lot of good developments. Uh, we're seeing so many forest schools pop up, both in Canada and the U.S. Uh, it's been an amazing development over the past um, 10 years or so. So yeah. that's fantastic. And it's great to see these different adaptations of it, um, because I, I think, you know, North America is so big that just... I think squarely basing, like having, a, there's no like one size fits all, I don't think, when it comes to forest schools or nature preschools over there. I think because a lot of the, the, the climate is so different depending on where you are, like you really have to adapt. That's, that's really key to uh, free live sleeve is to adapt to the environment, adapt to the climate. Um, so you just got to do what works for you. That's why it's hard to give general advice sometimes. Um, but I always come back to, you know, make, make it a part of your daily rhythm. Even if you just start with like 15 minutes or 30 minutes per day, just do it. You know, even if it takes you almost as long to get the kids dressed <laughs> as, you know, as you, you'll, um, uh, yeah, spend time outside, you'll, um, it'll still be worth it. And chances are that once you're out there, you'll want to stay stay out longer. So, <laughs> so do you find that in Sweden, kids or adults, even for that matter, do you find that they do have less screen time then? Um, I I am not sure. Like, I think for the younger children, definitely. Like when it comes to um, daycare uh, and preschool I think people are more restrictive here but with the older children I'm actually I would have to see some numbers on that and I'm not um, I'm not sure but my what I do see is that I think 
there is a better balance, I think, because we have uh, free live sleeve. I think we have um, uh, we have that as a counterweight to the screen time. Um, so I don't think people here generally think um, of screen time as always something that is harmful. I think uh, we're very we tend to be early adopters when it comes to tech. So it's an interesting, um, uh, it's uh, an interesting dichotomy in that we're very pro-tech and, uh, but at the same time, very pro-nature. So I think uh, it's trying, I think, I think people are just sort of trying to balance both worlds, but I'm sure there are uh, a lot of kids here too who get far too much screen time and not enough time outside. But I'd say because we have the preschool system, um, I think that really helps balance things out. And also in the school system, you know, the kids have more outdoor recess um, and things like that, and more recess overall. Um, so I think that really helps balance things out. Um, and then I think parents and grandparents and uh, extended family, because we have the culture of free to sleep, I think on the weekends and in people's free time, there is still very much an emphasis on getting outside, which I know in some regions in North America, that's more common too. I think it varies more by state and area in North America than than it does here. Sweden is pretty small in comparison, more um, homogenous too. So, um, so yeah, but tricky, tricky question to answer. I'm going to have to, <laughs> I'm going to have to dig into the numbers there, uh, but, but I haven't seen any recent research here in Scandinavia on kids screen time. Um, but it's the same recommendations here, you know, the, what the ex, the experts here are kind of they're wanting to limit it to no more than two hours per day for the older children um, and less for the for the younger um, kids. And uh, um, but I but I think that might be I think the attitudes might be starting to change a little bit with with uh, some of the younger parents who are really like digital natives. I think I'm 45 almost. And so I think so I was part of that generation, I think that last generation that had a very analog um, childhood. And so, so the next generation of parents now are maybe a little more relaxed when it comes to screens overall, I think, because they're more, they were born with it. And to them, it's not, um, it's just part of everyday life. Um, and so I, I think, and, and I think the whole the whole discussion about screen time is is kind of it's difficult because uh, when you when you think of it, a screen is just um, it's a tool. It's it, it can be used. It can be filled with good things and it can be filled with some pretty bad things, too. So the the fact that the kids are watching a screen itself, yes, it makes them more sedentary. And um, it tends to crowd out other activities like seeing people, um, you know, face to face, interacting with people in real life. It crowds out uh, physical activity. Um, and I think that's probably what I think is the, the biggest problem with screens. 
Um, but it can certainly be beneficial uh, as well. I mean, there are studies showing that kids who ga- do a lot of gaming, um, it has it can have some cognitive benefits. Um, but um, uh, for the youngest children, definitely, uh, I would advise uh, caution because it, it can cause language delays and, and things like that. Um, and above all, I think it's better. I think young children uh, really need to learn how to work out their emotional uh, when they're um, emotionally when they're like upset. Um, I think it's it's easy to give them a phone to look at, but that doesn't really take care of the problem. It just distracts them and gives them uh, sort of instant rewards um, when they really need to learn how to work out um, their emotional issues instead. So, so that's another, another reason to be restrictive with the youngest, youngest kids. So, um, so yeah, once again, that was more than you asked. <laughs> asked about, okay. and, <laughs> and what do you think all the indoor time in North America is doing to our children? Oh, um, well, I think, for one, um, I mean, physical physical activity um, has gone down, uh, and with all the health implications that that has, um, it's uh, you know, physical activity is just it's a it's a cornerstone of our health. So, uh, so when kids are raised or when when they grow up just sitting you know that that's when they that's when they create the foundation for the rest of their lives so i'm not saying it's never too late to start you know getting outside but but i think um i think that's what you know the most important part about outdoor play is is that it creates that sort of healthy foundation so so there's that physical aspect but then there's also a range of mental um mental health issues that um you know what what's um you know what's cause and consequences debated sometimes but their research has found links between you know excessive uh, social media use and and depression and anxiety among uh, especially older kids or teens um, so, so that's, those are definitely some, some negative consequences that we're seeing, um, not just from indoor time, but specifically for, from indoor, uh, time that's spent, um, you know, on, on smartphones and, and so forth. So, um, yeah, so there's definitely, um, there's a, definitely a lot going on there, and I don't think we know even of all the the consequences, uh, especially not when it comes to screen time. And that that research is is ongoing. Um, but what we do know is about the benefits of outdoor play, and that's been well documented and researched for uh, going on. 40, 50 years at this point, and the the research is very um it's, it's very convincing and and uh we're finally starting i hope to see some some results of that and seeing some actions with uh with the preschools and the forest schools popping up and 
<clears throat> and hopefully conventional schools also um, uh, picking up some some of that and implementing it because all that research is not going to be of any you know it's not going to do any good if we don't actually listen to it and act upon it and um, uh, yeah I, I, it's not happening fast enough but I, I it is it seems to be happening and and but I think we need to keep keep advocating for outdoor play it's we're we're far from there yet um, and I think there's a lot to be done especially when it comes to um, to just changing our attitudes around early childhood and realizing that um, or convincing enough people that early childhood should be about play and outdoor play um, that's you know that's something that I'm very passionate about and uh, uh, th there is a movement around that too and um, hopefully gaining strength but um, I think a lot of I think there's there's a lot of fear there too about your you know your kids falling behind and not getting into not you know, not learning how to read early enough and not getting into the right schools uh, and not succeeding in life and I just wish that more I I want to really encourage parents and um, educators to sort of dare to take a step back and just let let the kids sort of develop on their own timeline. Um, and, and there are plenty of examples of, of children. And, and of course, me growing up in Scandinavia, I had it, I was surrounded by it. So to me, it wasn't so much of an, of a problem. I didn't, I was never worried that my kids were going to fall behind. Um, because I knew uh, I had grown up in a, in a system like that myself and, and I did well. I saw my friends back home being totally relaxed about just letting their kids run around playing in, in the mud and rolling down hills and digging holes to China for all I know. Um, they were not concerned about them uh, learning how to read by age four. That was never like on the agenda so um so I think because I had that all that cultural support it was it came easy to me but I understand that when you're a new parent and um you're more sort of surrounded by a very competitive culture then that's harder to it's it can be hard to stand up against that and stand up for for your beliefs um so, uh, so I just want to sort of encourage those parents, I guess, to, or all parents to, to, to read all the, there's so much information on this now that, you know, just, uh, so many podcasts and blogs and YouTube videos and whatnot. I mean, there's just a wealth of information. So, uh, dare to, dare to, uh, you know, keep, childhood sacred and and uh let the kids play and 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 trust that that's enough that's play is enough <laughs> yeah, just kind of go back to basics right <laughs> yes yeah I was Definitely. super interested in reading about how leave no trace has started to be taken possibly a little too literally in North America can you just touch a bit on that 
Uh, yeah, I, um, yeah, I, I did write about that in, in my first book. Um, I was, I had an incident, which I talk about in, in the book too, uh, where I visited a nature preserve with my kids and uh, let them, you know, wade, wade in a creek, uh, play and play in the creek. Um, and uh, I was fined by a, um, a park, um, what do you call it? A park, uh, ah, park ranger, park ranger sort of. Yes. And uh he uh yeah told told us that it was um not allowed to to leave the the trail in the preserve which i i wasn't aware i'd been coming to this preserve for years um and uh, it uh, uh used to be uh, an old there used to be an old scout camp and there had been plenty of like human activity in this reserve but apparently the rules were that you can could not, you know, I was told that the only thing that you're allowed to do at this preserve was to uh, walk on the trail. That was it. And my heart just sort of sank because I knew that if walking on the trail was the only thing that you were allowed to do there, then I, I couldn't go back with my kids. There was no way that I could keep them from you know, like wanting to balance on some log next to the trail or, you know, picking up stuff from the ground. And, and, and I, and I, it made me feel like sad. Um, and I, I totally respect, I know that there are areas that are very sensitive. There are areas that are being loved to death, uh, where you have to have very strict rules about what you can do. Um, However, I didn't, I didn't see this as, as one of those threatened areas. There was hardly ever anybody there. And um, I, I just think that, you know, that made me think about, um, you know, the approach that we have to leave no trace and, and, and leave no trace is a good thing. I mean, the, the, uh, the core, the core principle of leave no trace is good. But then you also got to understand that children experience nature in a different way than us adults. They don't uh, they don't go to a park to enjoy the view. They want they want to experience nature hands on. They need to be able to you know stick their hands in the ground and and yeah bang on tree trunks with sticks like what we we uh we as adults we may not always appreciate the the ways that they utilize nature but that is their that is that is children's way of connecting with nature otherwise <clears throat> the um the experience quickly becomes um uh meaningless to them they they need to be hands on they need to experience nature with all their senses and that includes, you know, touching and and being hands on with nature. So I guess what I'm saying is I don't think kids should be able to do anything everywhere. Um, but I think I think there's reason for a more sort of sensible and more a more like common sense approach uh, to leave no trace. Um, and definitely making sure that kids have access to 
areas where they are, can climb trees um, and pick flowers. Yeah, maybe not the like the red, you know, obviously not the red listed rare flowers uh, that grow in areas like, I don't know, mountain areas sometimes where there are very few flowers. But if they, I mean, you, if you're in an area where there where flowers are abundant, why shouldn't they be able to pick a bouquet um, for their parents or whatever? You know, um, to me, that's I have so many childhood memories of like picking flowers. For example, it wasn't until I moved to the U.S. that I understood that that was controversial. It had never even it had never like occurred to me that kids picking flowers would be controversial. Um, and even like uh, common flowers, even flowers that are considered weeds. Um, but then it, I heard the argument that, well, but the flowers are for the bees. Well, yeah, sure. But I think uh, if, if, um, if, if some children pick, you know, I, I, I feel like it's unfairly putting like <laughs> all the planets problems on the shoulders of our children who just or who are just trying to connect with nature and enjoying nature when us adults are getting away with like spraying roundup on anything that grows pretty much and uh, I I just don't think that's right I feel like children um, I think we need to use more common sense um, I think when it when it comes to leave no trace principles um, the I, I agree with the core message of it, but but use use uh, sensibly when when um, when the kids are in the picture. <laughs> yes. What does experiencing nature versus consuming nature mean to you? Um, yeah. So this is something that I write about in the open air life, um, and uh, I think consuming nature. I think there are different ways of uh, doing that. Um, and, and I think the difference is that when you're experiencing nature, you're sort of one with nature and you're not doing anything that's harming nature. You're, you're, uh, you're in nature for the sake of being in nature, whereas, um, consuming nature could be, uh, things like, um, using a lot of like motor vehicles to, so like riding around on um, jet skis, for example, that's more like you're consuming nature for personal pleasure. Not saying that it's always wrong to use motor vehicles, like I go on boat rides too. But I think once again, I think uh, it's important to be aware of the difference. Um, and I think that we, I think there's been a shift uh, from more sort of slow nature activities that do less harm, like birding and um, hiking, um, to activities that are more sort of adrenaline driven. Um, and as a general rule, they take a larger or a heavier toll on the environment. So that's why I I promote the idea of three lips leave, which sort of leaves a minimal footprint on, on the environment. Um, and just uh, take a uh, birding, for example, 
um, even even some something like birding can get competitive, like and get into the realm of consuming nature. If you're if it just becomes about checking off a list, if you're just you know chasing uh, like driving across the country or flying across the country to chase down certain species of birds, then you might it might get to a point where you're it's more about the checking off the list and and the thrill of finding a really rare species than about really getting to know birds um, as a, a fellow living organism on this planet and and feeling that oneness with um, with them. So so I think so I think that's where the where the difference is. Um, and I think most of us probably do a little bit of both, but it's important to know the difference. Okay. And where can people follow along to find you and your books? Um, so I have a blog, rainorshinemama.com, and that's mama with two M's. Um, and I yeah, rec- highly recommend to um, sign up for my newsletter because then you'll know uh, you'll always be the, the first to know about events and uh, things like that. And then I do, um, I'm also active on Instagram and uh, Facebook. So uh, my, and my handle is rain or shine mama there as well. So um, I do try to stay active. It's hard when you're an outdoorsy person, you want to be outside and not in front of your um phone all the time so it's uh so, so sometimes I'm, I'm I'm less active but I um I do I do pop in on a regular basis wonderful we will link all of that up in the show notes and then we'll end with our final questions today so in the last few months what was your best purchase under a hundred dollars or whatever that converts to <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna have to go with the wool slippers that I bought. Um, it's been—I uh, hate having cold feet, and uh, those wool slippers have really helped. We've been trying to conserve energy too because we've had a bit of an energy crisis here in in Europe. So we've been like <laughs> reducing the heat inside and trying to be you know solidaric with. Um, uh, with the Ukrainian people and, and, you know, consuming less energy. So I bought myself a pair of wool, wool slippers and uh, they've been great. <laughs> Wonderful. Wool gets us through the winter too. <laughs> yeah. Can you share a book? Obviously we want everyone to go check out your books, but can you share a book, show, or podcast recommendation right now? Um, yeah. I was talking about birding earlier and I just started reading a book called Slow Birding. Um, I can't think of the writer's name right now, but it really, um, uh, it also talks about the, this concept of of getting to know the birds that are in your nearby area. So it really sort of aligns with the concept of free of sleeve and that it really focuses on your nearby nature and, and rather than um, uh, rushing around trying to fill a list. So uh, so it's been very good so far. And uh, I think birding is great because it's a nature activity that you can do pretty much anywhere. I mean, because birds live everywhere, literally, even in the cities. So 
it's uh and it's often something that kids like doing as well so so yeah so that would be my my uh little tip for uh, as far as books go wonderful add that to my list I never used to talk about birds and now my daughter who's three tomorrow has us talking about birds every single day (laughs) (laughs) if there was no time or money limit where would you travel or explore next uh it's funny that you ask that question and I would have to say too that if if uh if carbon emissions weren't (laughs) weren't an issue because I do think a lot more about that now I'm an like I love traveling I've traveled a lot uh in my life um but I I have cut back some um and it's I I don't think of it the same way as I used to just because now as as opposed to 25 years ago you just didn't think about the climate impact like you do today um but there was a trip that I was invited on and didn't go on because it was so um, because it was very expensive. But I was invited to go on a trip to Svalbard, um, which is up in the Arctic, uh, and to go skiing, country skiing and sailing um, in, on Svalbard. Uh, so I I turned it down, and now I have a new item on my bucket list. <laughs> So you're like one I, day. I do think I want to do that some someday. It would be very cool. <laughs> All right. Well, this was fantastic. Thank you so much for the work you put out there. I hope everyone goes and reads your books and your messaging and everything and spending time with us today. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. Thanks for adventuring with us. Please subscribe and share your love by reviewing our podcast with five stars and follow us over at Kids Who Explore on Instagram and all other social media platforms. This podcast is produced by KP Media Productions.